to a new episode of Supplycast for the Healthcare Supply Association. As we entering the HCSA conference, and this podcast should be going out for just about the time that it's about to kick off on November 17th, 18th, make sure you're registered for that. We are talking to Matt Orham from Advise Inc. Hello, Matt. Hi, Bruce. You're right. Yeah, I'm very good. Matt, just discussing before I press record on this about um, you know the format that we use on this and about how um, you know at times I've tried to steer conversations, if possible, away from solely being about COVID. Really, just because you know you can end up being kind of bogged down in it. Having said that, of course, in a way, it's a self-fulfilling prophecy that if you have a podcast that deals in NHS supplies, you're going to be talking a hell of a lot about COVID and the PPE situation in the first wave, etc. And I guess that's one of the that's one of the reasons why we wanted to go uh, with you in particular on the podcast because you did an awful lot in that first wave. And I guess, you know, that's an ongoing thing, but I know in particular you played a key role in that. But first of all, can you tell me a little bit about advising just in general? Yeah, sure. So uh, advising, we've been going for six years now. We specialise in helping make sense of spend data, basically, and more and more data sets. So originally we started off in spend, purchasing data. We're now starting to get involved with more and more data sets and really trying to bring data together within healthcare to help make sense of it and drive insight and I guess ultimately drive action. So invariably that's been saving money, but as we get more and more involved with data, there's more and more you can do with it. So it's more now around driving value as opposed to just driving financial benefit. Now, hopefully my research team are accurate in this and my research team is of course me, Um, (laughs) but um, are you the co-founder of Advising as well? Yes. Is that correct? Yeah. Um, so I know you've told us uh, what you guys do. Uh, why did you found it? I mean, I always think that if you've if you founded it, co-founded it, then you must have had a particular passion or, um, you know, vocational pull towards doing it. Did it come yeah. from something in particular? No, I think that's the key thing. It was a passion. I think mm. I always had a background in procurement. So I've always enjoyed procurement. Started off in the private sector. Uh, I kind of fell into healthcare, as I'm sure many people do. Everyone says that. Everyone says that, yeah, and fall into mm. procurement as well. Mm. When you when you graduate from university, nobody ever says, do you want to work in procurement? It's, do you want to yeah, be yeah, a yeah, consultancy sure. or do you want to be a lawyer? So I kind of fell into both healthcare and procurement, I guess, to that degree. But we've been kind of 16, 17 years in and around healthcare. So done lots of things with healthcare and procurement. So everything from national policy through to helping with a number of the collaborative procurement hubs. So we wrote a number of the business cases that created those mm-hmm. organisations. So North of England CPC, when it was Yorkshire and Humber, we helped write that business case. East of England, we wrote that one. So we know a lot of the regional folk and a lot of the local trusts. We've helped buy widgets. We've helped stick urgent care centres on the front of any departments. We've helped implement inventory management systems. So we've got quite a varied experience. And I think it all culminated with a, myself and fellow co-founders saying, we think we can do this better. We've got a really good insight now. And there are some, some core principles of where we think we can support around analytics. I think there's always been a frustration that 
there's lots of data in the NHS, but it's not always pulled together in a way that you can either make sense of or then do something about. So I think we saw that as quite a sweet spot to where we could add value. And it ticked a lot of boxes for getting us out of bed in the morning. I've always said advising was probably one of the first jobs where I jump out of bed and with excitement because it's what we're going to discover today. And it is a bit like that. Every day is different. We're always working with new customers, new areas, new insights, and it just keeps it really interesting. Yeah, I suppose if you've co-founded something, it, it, would, it would be a bit odd if you co-founded the company, which <laughs> you turned out you didn't like it. <laughs> It'd be a bit like uh, making your own sandwiches in the morning and uh, just throwing them away because you don't like them. When you that's true. And, I, and I guess that's why you do have your own business because you do yeah. enjoy it. You're not, there's not somebody else telling you what to do each day and you're sat there going, oh, I don't think we should be doing this. Uh, and you all go off in that direction and it doesn't work. And there's a little bit of, oh, I told you that wasn't going to work. We should have gone over this mm. way. Whereas now the great thing about small businesses, we just go, should we go over this way? And everybody goes, yeah, let's go over that way. And we just go. So yeah. there's, there's agility that I like with how we operate in the team. But I think if you ask any of the team, they'd say the same. They jump out of bed with mm. excitement. I mean, they all work exceptionally long hours. They've during COVID for the first three or four months, I know colleagues in the NHS were working crazy days and hours. We were doing the same. We were a seven day a week operation. And we did that for several months. We had a support desk that ran throughout Saturdays and Sundays. I was talking to the army every weekend in the very early days, trying to help up in the Northwest. So I think it goes through all levels. It's not just us as founders that jump out of bed because it's our business. I think everybody loves working in the business as well. So I guess, you know, there you are, you're advising, you're, you're, you're happily um, going along with your business. Um, and then COVID hits, and then COVID hits, and then fairly soon after COVID hits, the PPE, what should we call it, crisis, that hits. How quickly did you think, ah, this is where we can provide an additional service here? It was probably straight away. So what we realized very quickly is as procurement teams were then just focused on really one task, which was securing PPE, what we offer as a normal day job around analytics, people cared a little less about. So engaging somebody on a conversation around how you can save money by switching a product that you're buying direct and send it through supply chain and you could save five grand was no longer top of the agenda. It was where are the type two R masks and how can I protect staff in ICU with the correct gown? So we just said very early on, let's not push it because we're not going to get anywhere. Let's instead make ourselves useful. So we agreed as a team, uh, we all agreed this, that we would just put ourselves out to all of our customers and say, if we can help you with anything, just let us know. We're not interested in money. Just we are skilled in data and analytics, just get in touch. So in the first couple of days, we were doing all sorts of bits. We helped Tom in Bedford with pricing up a stock take. He'd done a manual stock take, couldn't price it up because it was manually done. So the product codes didn't equal the product codes in his data. But of course, because we do that as a day job for everything else we're doing, within an hour, we could turn around for free his manual input and spit it back out all priced up. And he was over the moon with it. And that just felt good. We weren't helping put PPE into a hospital, but we were helping remove some of the pressures of BAU sat behind the scenes. So we felt we were being useful. Sure. Yeah. And then very quickly, we had a hospital in the West Midlands that said with a very specific requirement, which was we're trying to track PPE. We don't have an inventory management system. We've got Excel sheets flying around. Our board are getting really frustrated with us because every day the spreadsheet changes. The numbers are changing. People are messing about with the spreadsheets. The formulas are changing. 
and uh, we're just losing our confidence. If we give you the spreadsheet, can you help us with the process? So we said, right, great, let's do this as a little project. So we took the call at midday and literally by five o'clock we'd had We'd created a web front end so people could type things into in a consistent way. And we wrapped some analytics around it. So all of a sudden you could have visibility of where stock was and start forecasting. And that evening, I think it was, or shortly afterwards, I tweeted about it. And there's a few followers on Twitter and they started going, oh, could I have that? Could mm-hmm. I have that? And we were like, yeah, I don't see why not. So within a week... We were inundated. We were providing support across the whole of East of England, uh, South Yorkshire. Uh, a big supporter of it very early on was Greater Manchester. I think they've got a fantastic team up in Greater Manchester. So we started to work with Neil Hind and the likes of Simon Walsh, uh, etc. And we just went for it. And we found out very quickly we did no other work. So all the analysts we normally do, nobody was interested in. We became a seven day a week, seven in the morning till 10 at night operation, just supporting folk, get on board with the system, continuing to develop the system and just helping as many people as we could. Um, this was Stockwatch, wasn't it? This was Stockwatch and we rolled yeah. it out. We didn't just focus on healthcare either, which was quite nice. Our business mm-hmm. has really been around healthcare, but we then started to get involved with social care and care homes so we could help more and more people. And we did it for free. So originally we said we'd do it for three months for free. Uh, We were happy to put our time and support in for free. However, we'd got some licensing issues that we needed to pay for, but the provider of those uh, clicks said, we'll give them for free as well. And we ended up doing it for about six months for free. Uh, we helped about 200 organisations by the end of it. So yeah, no, it was it was nice to feel like we were doing something to help and everybody said it was a big help. We understood the products. We understood the nuances very early on between the different FFP3 masks and the fact there was a fit test sure. when, when many teams didn't even know what an FFP3 mask was at the time. So yeah. it, was, it was really early days of trying to quickly understand that uh, and then quickly develop a solution that enabled them to not only track but forecast PPE. That's fantastic. So that was obviously the the, the first wave where we know you, yeah. you know everything went you know crazy around because COVID, also the the PPE situation. Where are you now with that? Because obviously we we're entering um, a second wave. I guess that's what we call it. And everyone's it's, it's strange. Everyone's quite sort of careful about calling it the second wave. Like if it's with all you know this initial wave, this is second wave. We're entering the second wave. Blah blah blah. If we say we are into the second wave um we're at a second lockdown how are you seeing it out there now i mean do people still i mean from my point of view as someone who keeps an eye on all the news around this these these things now um it appears as if the 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 ppe situation is i would say like fairly comfortably under control um certainly in polls that we run on our on the hcsa twitter account it's falling down the list of things of immediate concern and there are now concerns around other things such as you know um, staffing etc so where are you at the moment where are you at the moment from your point of view with PPE and COVID and stock watch if you're if it's still in use yeah no we still use it across the northwest and Wales mm. just rolled it out yeah. across the whole of uh, health yeah. and social care I think what we see in the data is a, a much better position in those early first few weeks and probably the first couple of months working with the army i think it took everybody by surprise i might argue it shouldn't have taken us by surprise but yeah. the reality was it did we quickly mm. used up the pandemic stocks there was gaps all over the place we were seeing mm. data where we, we were literally hours away from icus running out of product and it was only mm. through mutual aid within regions did that not happen wow. so i think as we all know it was incredibly tight 
I think if you look now in the data, because we see both English trusts and Welsh trusts and the Welsh take care mm. of themselves through their shared services, much better stock levels. I think I, I see on Twitter there are still some things around quality with uh, Absolutely, yeah. and, and arms missing yeah. and bits of plastic. Yeah. I'm sure there's been a few of those done as yeah. there was a rush to buy stuff. But sure. we see now, instead of seeing one or two days stock, <laughs> stock watch, we're now seeing things like 300 days stock. So no, I'm not gotcha. saying that's common for every product, but we're seeing certain ah. products now. There is a a stock. Uh, there is stock in the country. There's stock in hmm. regional distribution centres, and there's stock in trusts. So I'm sure there will be other events along the way, but I can't see a repeat of the first wave. That kind of thing. What was it like working? You mentioned they're working with the the military. Obviously, you got involved in this. What was that like? That must have been something you weren't anticipating advising being involved in a working with when no, you first no, no. but i i actually really liked it because yeah. one thing the military can cut do is kind of cut through the bs and they cut yeah because they've got a job yeah. to do yeah and they've got a job to do they do the job so there mm. was there was bits in there i, I could see how it frustrated colleagues in health because Clearly, sure. they, they, might, they might understand about logistics and moving tanks and machinery around, but didn't understand around PPE and other bits sure. of So I could see yeah. some of that playing out. But I actually really enjoyed it because we just cut through stuff and we can implement things very quickly off the back of them. Mm-hmm. So actually rolling out the tool across the northwest was days and yeah. the development was days and yeah. it, things happened really quickly. So with the situation is with Stopwatch, what do you anticipate happening in the, going into the future with Stopwatch? Is that something that you'll kind of stand down during calmer periods going going forward? But, you know, if we reach, I don't know, like say a normal winter flu season or something like that or whatever it may be or another pandemic or, or, or something that involves, you know, mass, whatever it may be, mass casualties and mass requirement of PPE quickly. Um, is that something you would then sort of stand back up or will it always be there as an option for trust now? Yeah, I mean, I think it's always there as an option. It's probably been a bit of an eye-opener around inventory management. And actually, mm-hmm. we Stockwatch is not an inventory management system. It's something that sits between a spreadsheet and an inventory management system. So yeah. all, all that's happened is it's spurred on folk to look at inventory management and scan for safety a lot more, mm-hmm. which are kind of big projects. Because if, if they were in place and running, I know sometimes they struggle a little bit moving outside of business as usual. So when emergencies do, sure. sometimes systems take a while to catch up or be reconfigured but that would be a better thing to do so i think some organizations will continue to use it we're now working uh, hopefully very soon with uh, the world bank around developing countries where actually there's not even excel and actually this is a tool that can sit on a mobile phone and actually if in a village somebody's trying to track ppe at the moment but it could be vaccine in the future is how many vaccines do i have in the village they can just type it in within seconds every Mm -hmm. day and we can collate it and then we'd get a really rich picture of where everything was so yes we're tracking ppe at the moment but but we could be tracking vaccines we could be tracking people we're just working at the moment looking at clinical trials and whether when clinical trials are set up whether we can use the tool to help track those bits so there's all sorts of other applications for it even if ppe becomes business as usual again as it was uh, prior to covid that's really interesting. So it's, it's kind of like it has been a sort of necessity, mother of invention type thing that's come up. And now it's something which is can go into different areas and assist other parts of the world and et cetera. That's, 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 that's really great. That must have been very rewarding for you now, not just to have helped and 
put yourself you know you know forward to help you know without cost but um to actually be able to sort of reach other parts of the world potentially and make a difference yeah it is i mean because that's that's why you do it and i mm. people go you create a business to make loads of money well i always say that you're not going to make lots of money in health and, and nor should you yeah. but you yeah. do it as a passion yeah you want to feel like you're helping and you can't always when you're sat on the outside of the healthcare system sometimes the doors can close yeah you're sat here going look we're keen we're eager we want to help but the doors are closed so when the doors can be opened up and you can help i think that's it's a good feeling so yeah no it's definitely been a, a point of pride for the whole team and we've won an award off the back of it with htn uh, health tech news which was really nice again that was voted for by nhs folk mm-hmm. so that was really nice to to do that and again it was just a point of pride for the team that's great so i wanted i was very keen to get into stopwatch which i think we've done quite yeah. quite uh, quite nicely there so i'm just going to move into uh just the kind of our ending phase where um i ask uh, a couple of questions which yeah, I suppose, Matt, if you've done your homework, you've been thinking about... Back-to-back teams and Zoom uh, sessions. Yeah. <laughs> I've not done I always, anything, so. I always uh, there's, a, there's a fear in the eyes thing. The, the two questions I always ask is, what if there was only one album you, you were allowed to listen to for the rest of your life, or one song? Uh-huh. And what is... What if there was only one film you could watch for the rest of, of your life? So you had to, you know, you had that, that was the option you got given now and you couldn't listen to any other album, you couldn't watch any other film. And uh, I was actually discussing this with um, a friend of mine the other day that we do this and he said, ah, whenever you get that sort of question, what tends to happen is you think about what oftentimes, I'm not saying this is you, Matt, but... <laughs> You think about your honest answer, and then maybe you think about the best answer to project an image you want to project. Because he admitted to me that when he was writing for like um, a now defunct uh, film magazine called Hot Dog, he said, I was writing for them for a few months. And one of the things everyone had to do was in their bio, they had to list what their favourite movie was. And he said (laughs) there was eight of them working on the editorial and they said none of them actually said their favourite movie. (laughs) They actually, they thought, well, my favourite movie is really whatever it might have been, you know, sound of music. I don't know. (laughs) That's just off the top of my head. Um, but they thought, oh, I've been, no, hold on, I better think about this. I better say something like Pulp Fiction or something like that. You know, listen, Matt, I'm sure these are going to be 100% honest answers. <laughs> so album, what would the album be? Some people have chosen a song, but why not choose an album? It makes more sense. You're going to get that song and then you're going to get a load of other songs. If you only got one, it makes sense. I'm trying to think what the album is, but I... The song and going back to you a bit about the the honest answer and the answer I'll give. Yeah, I always yeah. think I'm pretty honest. I don't have yeah. I don't worry too much uh, on the other side. So, I think the song that springs to mind uh, would be Foo Fighters' "Times Like These." Right, excellent. So, and the main reason for that is I when I turned forty, I started to learn to play the guitar. I've always wanted to do it throughout my whole life. Uh, finally got there. Yeah, yeah, and finally got bought a guitar for my fortieth. So yeah. I started to do a few lessons um, and then I've just started to take it on from there. But Foo Fighters, Times Like These was the first song I wanted to play. So I've kind of learned to play that over the, the years badly. But but, yeah, but you've done it. You've achieved it. Did you also buy a sports car and leather trousers and other things like that you're meant to do when you get to 40? Because <laughs> no, I've got kids. <laughs> I'm hoping the sports cars come in when I'm 50 or 60 and they've left. That one. Yeah. Yeah, you can, you can um, uh, 
You can learn another Foo Fighters song as well, then, mate. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, I love the time. Uh, yeah, that's brilliant. Um, and film. What would the film, film be? That's a more difficult one. I, I guess, like mm. music, films, I've got quite an eclectic taste. One probably that does spring to mind would be something like Goodfellas. I think Goodfellas is on solid, the list. Solid choice. Solid choice. And it wasn't the choice, because I've... I should say. Yeah, yeah. no, no, no. It's, like yeah. the, at university, we watched a lot of Goodfellas. The guy that lived opposite Mirage, we all used to pile yeah, into yeah. his room, and uh, we watched Goodfellas at least once a week and never tired mm. of it. So I think it's, that's it's a film you can watch all the time, isn't it? Yeah. It's, it's one of those films you can you can just watch. Or Last know. of the Mohicans, I quite like Last of the Mohicans. There's something yeah. that I quite like. So uh, yeah, one of those two. That's great. Foo Fighters and Goodfellas. I mean, it sounds like a it sounds like a great night, doesn't it? <laughs> together yeah. you're playing along you can play along <laughs> to the songs <laughs> that's excellent listen matt thanks for that it's been, it's been a lot of fun having you on and and, and also you know a you know great work during the ppe stuff was with stopwatch i saw for myself that and um, people found it really uh extremely yeah, no, valuable you. um so you know great work on that so so that was matt Orham. um thanks to matt for joining us here like i say when you're hearing this, depending on when you choose to hear it, but it'll be available to hear just about as we're getting into the conference, which is, um, you know, obviously the 17th and 18th of November. So um, you, there might be a, a last minute rush for you to be able to get to register yourself for that. But we'll see you uh, next time on Supplycast. Bye.